Micah 5, 1 through 6. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid upon us. With a rod they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure. From now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. When the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our places, then we will raise against them him raised against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances, and he shall deliver us from the Assyrian when he comes into our land and treads within our border. Amen. Have you ever reached a place in life where you've come to the point where you said to yourself, I've got nothing? I reached that place when I was an interim pastor at a church in New York. The word interim means temporary, and so I knew that as soon as the church found a permanent pastor, then they would no longer need me. And so I, I sent out many different applications to different churches, applying and hoping that one day I would be able to be a pastor at a different church. Well, I thought there was a good possibility that the, a church about an hour away from me would hire me. I had gone to this church that needed a pastor a couple of times. I had spoken at the church, I had met the people, and I had met the search committee at the church as well. Both visits seemed to have gone well, but there was a problem. The problem was that there were eight people on the search committee, and the eight people had all agreed that they would be unanimous in presenting a candidate to the church. Well, seven out of the eight people on the search committee wanted to present me as the pastoral candidate, but one did not. The eighth person on the committee was a salesman, and he wanted someone who had the gifting and the personality of a salesman to be the pastor, the next pastor of the church. Now, you've heard about salespeople who could sell ice cubes to an Eskimo. Well, I couldn't even sell a hoodie to Bill Belichick. I don't have the personality of a salesman. I just don't have that gifting within myself. And so after a third visit to this particular church, both the salesman and the rest of the committee said it's probably best that you move on because we're not unanimous. So there I was with a wife and a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and I had no other options. I was down to nothing. And that's where I learned the truth of the sermon title this morning. As you can see from your sermon outline, the sermon title says, When you're down to nothing, God is up to something. That's when I learned that truth. Because shortly after that church in New York had moved on from me, I got a call from a church in Manchester, Maine. And I've been happy to be the pastor of the church in Manchester, Maine for over 18 years now. Some of you this Christmas season may not be feeling the joy that we typically associate with Christmas. You may feel like you are down to nothing, 
like the people of Israel felt in Micah chapter 5, which we just read. If you feel like you are down to nothing today, I want to assure you God is up to something. What is God up to? Let's look at Micah 5 and let's see some things that God is up to in your life. First, God is up to sending Jesus to rule on your behalf. Before we look at God's promise to send Jesus, let's look at what the circumstances were for the people of Israel in Micah chapter 5. Israel at this time had indeed gone down to nothing. The events of Micah chapter 5 take place in 701 BC. This is around 35 years after Isaiah had prophesied to King Ahaz about the coming of Emmanuel, God with us, which we looked at last week from Isaiah chapter 7 in verse 14. King Ahaz had failed to trust that God and God alone would protect Israel from the alliance of the two nations of Syria and Ephraim. He trusted instead that an alliance with the superpower Assyria would save him and save his people. Ahaz turned out to be wrong. Assyria was indeed a superpower, but it was a very hungry superpower. First, Assyria attacked Syria. Then it moved further south and it attacked Ephraim, the northern tribes of Israel. And then, by the time we reach Micah chapter 5, Assyria had come to eat up Judah, of which Hezekiah was now the king. Hezekiah had watched Israel become the incredible shrinking nation. More and more of Judah was being taken up by other countries. Now the only city that was left within Judah was the city of Jerusalem. The rest of the cities had been taken over by the Assyrians. And what was happening to Jerusalem, according to Micah chapter 5 and verse 1, we read there that siege is laid against us. The city was under siege. The people in Jerusalem were, for now, at this moment, they were safe behind the walls of Jerusalem. But unless a miracle happened, many of the Israelites would die of starvation and thirst and disease in the weeks and months to come. And once the walls of Jerusalem were broken through, the Assyrians would come in and they would kill many of the people who are left in Jerusalem. Now the good news for Israel is that they, they did receive a miracle. We read in 2 Kings chapter 19 that God struck down 185,000 Assyrian soldiers one night outside the gates of Jerusalem. But before that miracle happened, Micah gives a picture of the humiliation that King Hezekiah was experiencing there at the end of verse 1 of chapter 5. With a rod, the Assyrians strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. Have you ever been slapped in the face before? It's a humiliating moment, isn't it? And that's what Assyria had done to King Hezekiah. They had slapped him in the face And there was no way for the king even to protect his face. Hezekiah and Israel were down to just about nothing. All that they had left was their capital city of Jerusalem and the few troops that were left inside it. And it appeared 
that God was doing nothing. But when you are down to nothing, God is up to something. Notice the wonderful word that begins verse 2. But. Yes, Israel was down to pretty much nothing, just to Jerusalem. But God was up to something. Verse 2 says, But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. What was God up to? He was up to sending his son, the king, to be the Messiah for Israel. Yes, this king would come from the small town of Bethlehem, a small town, a nothing town, five miles outside of Jerusalem. But do you know who else came from Bethlehem? Only Israel's greatest king ever, King David. David had led Israel to its greatest heights as a nation. And now Micah is prophesying that the great David is going to have an even greater son, a Messiah, an anointed one who would rule over Israel. This Messiah, Jesus, would take away the humiliation that Israel was experiencing. He would bring Israel back to greatness as her king. A few years ago, my oldest son Joshua had the opportunity to study for a semester at Oxford over in England. And while he was there, he took a trip to Winchester Castle. Inside the castle, there is a famous table that reminded the kings who lived there of England's most legendary king, King Arthur. Now, before I show you this table that my son took a picture of, let me ask you, what shape was King Arthur's table? It was not King Arthur and the Knights of the Trapezoid Table. Okay, here's a picture instead of the table. Okay, it was King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table. Okay, and around this table, uh, if you could see close up, you could see the names of the different knights of King Arthur that were painted onto the table. Now, it's interesting that after King Arthur died, the wizard Merlin made a prediction. He predicted that King Arthur would come to rule again once more. Now, King Arthur is just a myth. Most historians do not believe that King Arthur was a real human being. But King David of Israel, he was definitely real. He truly ruled over Israel, and the Israelites knew of his mighty works and the great things that he had done for all Israel. And so when the prophet Micah said that the great King David would have an even greater son, the Messiah, Jesus, in Micah chapter 5, what do you think that did for the hopes of the people of Israel? The people of Israel were down to nothing at this point. But just to know that God was up to something, he was preparing to send to them a great king, an even greater David from Bethlehem. That gave them great hope and joy. And if you are down to nothing this morning, I want to remind you that God is up to something for you. 
God has already sent King Jesus to earth once. And God will send Jesus to earth again, a second time, to rule over all who love Jesus, to rule over all of his creation. But in the meantime, King Jesus has a way of showing up in our lives as we live out our days on this earth. Jesus is a great king. He rules over all things. So you may be down today, but you are not out. If Jesus is your king, God is most definitely up to something for you. God, we see in Micah 5, is up to sending Jesus to restore what you have lost. Let's think for a moment about all that the nation of Israel had lost in Micah's day. Verse 3 speaks about when she who is in labor has given birth. And so when Mary gives birth to King Jesus, verse 3 says that the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. Hundreds of years earlier, the northern tribes of Israel had split from the southern kingdom of Judah. The nation of Israel was no longer united. That had been lost. And 20 years before Micah's prophecy, all of those people from the northern tribes had been defeated by the great Assyrian superpower. Many of the people had been killed, and those who survived were taken away into exile. All these people then were, were gone from the people of Israel. What a great loss for the nation. But what would happen when Jesus came? Jesus would unite the people of Israel again under one king, under their Messiah. The brothers from the northern tribes who had been lost would return to live among God's people. Another loss that Israel had endured is found in verse five, 4. We read Micah prophesy about Jesus, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Israel used to have a great king named David. And what was David's occupation before he became king? What did he do? He was a shepherd. And when David became king, he took that shepherding heart into his kingship. He treated each person there as his own personal sheep that he was responsible for, to take care of and to love. But what had happened to Israel after David was no longer king? The kings of Israel were no longer shepherds who took care of the sheep in the kingdom. They no longer had the heart of a shepherd. Instead, the kings were more like King Ahaz. We saw last week that King Ahaz did not trust God as his shepherd. Instead, King Ahaz trusted the wicked nation of Assyria to take care of Judah's needs. But that was a disaster for the people. What a loss Israel had endured when they no longer had kings who were shepherds of the people. But when Jesus came as king, the people of Israel would once again have a good shepherd for a king, a king like David. 
a king who loved and protected the sheep. What a great day that would be when a shepherd was restored to the throne of Israel. The amazing news that Micah had for Israel was that when they were down to nothing, that Jesus would one day rule over Israel. He would not just restore the nation, though, when Jesus came. Verse 4 says that Jesus shall be great to the ends of the earth. Jesus would be even greater than King David, who ruled over just Israel. Jesus would rule over all nations. People from every tribe and nation and tongue would be part of the kingdom of Jesus. There are some of you here today that I don't know very well. But here is what I know about every single person who is here today. All of you have an enemy. And your enemy's name is Satan. Let's read out loud together from Jesus' words in John chapter 10 about the, the difference between Jesus and Satan. Let's read together. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So what does Satan do? What does Satan have on his business card? Thief, murderer, destroyer. That about covers it. That's who Satan is. Satan is great at taking things from you that you really love. Think about some of the things that you have lost because of Satan and his work. You have lost people that you love to death. You have lost your health. At times, you have lost your reputation. Some of you have lost jobs. You have even lost your hope and your joy. Satan has taken so many things from you. At times, you feel like you are down to nothing. The good news of the gospel is that when you feel like you are down to nothing, God is up to something. He is up to sending Jesus. And Jesus came to bring life. He came to restore what you have lost. This is the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible can be summed up in four words. I brought those four words with me today. We'll put the picture up to show you the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is a story about creation, fall, redemption, restoration. God created this world perfect, but human beings fell into sin and destroyed God's perfect creation. God then sent a Redeemer, Jesus, who paid the debt that you owe to God for your sin. Christ paid that debt for you when he died on the cross for your sins. And one great day, Jesus is going to come again and restore to us all that we have lost. In fact, Jesus is going to make the new creation even better than the original. Everything sad will come untrue. Jesus will make everything glorious 
beautiful and joyful. What a great restorer Jesus is. Of course, not all things have been restored by Jesus. Not yet. So what do we do while we wait for Jesus to restore his creation? We wait. We see the people in Micah's day waiting in Israel in verse 3, where we read, He shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Now, how long was Israel going to have to wait for Jesus to be born after Micah's prophecy? 700 years. That's a long time to wait, isn't it? And some of you who feel like you are down to nothing have been waiting a long time for God to act in your life. Let me assure you, God is up to something. He is at work to restore what you have lost. So wait. But don't wait as those who have no hope. Trust God. Believe his promises. God kept his promise to send to you Jesus to restore what you have lost. And he will keep his promise to you to restore what has been lost to you. Finally, we see from Micah chapter 5 that God is up to sending Jesus to save you. In verses 5 and 6, we see that the defeat of the Assyrians is promised through two different agents, through the, the generals of Israel and through King Jesus. These verses begin with a, a national war song that Israel knew well. We read in verse 5, when the Assyrian comes into our land and treads in our palaces, then we will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princes of men. They shall shepherd the land of Assyria with the sword and the land of Nimrod at its entrances. So when the nation of Israel sang this fight song, they were inspired to fight against their Assyrian enemy. They were inspired to fight at a time when the nation was down to nothing. It was Israel's way of saying, we'll show them, we'll cut them down to size. Of course, not too many people were singing this song anymore. Not when the capital city of Jerusalem was under siege and surrounded by Assyrians. The people's hope for victory over the enemy was pretty much gone. And that's when Micah reminded the people of the hope of their Messiah in the middle of verse 6. After Micah finished the people's forgotten fight song, he says in the middle of verse 6, And he shall deliver us from the Assyrian. He shall save us. And who is that he? The Messiah, Jesus. It's not our great generals who will save us, Micah is saying. It's our king. It's Jesus and Jesus alone who will save. It's not our military strength that saves. It's our Christ. It's Jesus. The people had gone down to nothing, but God was up to something. What was he up to? Jesus. Jesus would save the people in their moment of crisis. 
It's interesting to me that people knew this prophecy from Micah very well by the time that Jesus was born. Let's read out loud together from Matthew chapter 2 and verses 4 through 6. Herod inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so when Jesus was born, the religious leaders of Israel, they knew where the Christ was to be born. They knew the Christ would be born in Bethlehem because that is what Micah had prophesied. But here is my question. Why would the people of Israel in Jesus' day, why would they remember this prophecy of Micah 700 years later when the Assyrians were completely gone by that point? They were gone as an enemy. You see, the Assyrians had been defeated by the Babylonians. And then the Babylonians had been defeated by the Medes and the Persians. And then the Medes and the Persians were defeated by the Greeks. And then the Greeks were wiped out by the Romans. Empires had come and gone many times since Micah made his prophecy about a Messiah who would defeat the Assyrians. Why then would anyone remember this prophecy about a, a Messiah who would be born in Bethlehem? when the Assyrians that the Messiah came to defeat were long gone. Why would they remember? Because the Messiah did not just come to defeat the Assyrians. That was not Jesus' purpose. He came to defeat and save you from every enemy that you face. That is good news for you today. No matter what in your life that is threatening you, no matter when you are down to nothing, God is up to something. He is up to something in Jesus Christ, our Savior. Jesus then will save you, no matter what your challenge or your enemy. Jesus is not just good for fighting the Assyrian monster. Jesus is good for fighting any monster that you are facing. Jesus then can save you when you fight against the money monster. He can save you when you fight the death monster. And he can save you even when you fight the Satan monster and hell itself. He saves when you put your faith in him and him alone. So church, if you are down to nothing today, don't despair, don't give up. God is up to something. He is up to something in sending to you Jesus, the child born in Bethlehem. He is up to sending Christ to you for your need. Jesus is mighty in his rule. He is mighty to restore. And he is mighty to save. Let's pray together. God, how grateful we are that you care for your people at all times. How grateful we are that you love us even when we are down to nothing. Thank you that you have sent Jesus to save us. Thank you that you have always been up to something 
in Jesus. And thank you that Jesus is coming again. Some of your people here today do feel like they are down to nothing. Remind them, O Lord, that you are always up to something. Remind them that Jesus is mighty to save. In your great name we pray. Amen.